There's been a remarkable amount of international cooperation against terror to try to contain the danger of weapons of mass destruction, against poverty and AIDS and putting, for putting children in school. Have we done anything like what I think we should do? No, we haven't even scratched the surface. But all this is unprecedented. We have, in short, been living in a completely interdependent environment <clears throat> in which, for good or ill, we cannot escape each other for about 15 years all over the world. And I would argue to you that in spite of all of our troubles, more good than bad has come out of that global environment. That the kind of people you come here to celebrate and honor and listen to have done, on balance, a good job. And that it is more likely than not that once more, human, <clears throat> human history will be marked by a movement from interdependence, which is where we are now, inherently unstable. We get all the benefits and all the burdens. You get rich off global trade and you get your buildings blown up by terrorists for the same reason. Open borders, easy travel, easy immigration, easy access to information and technology. You become very vulnerable when people can reach you and they don't share your values. They don't think they get any benefits out of your system in a world where half the world is still on less than two dollars a day. And they don't recognize the responsibilities of civilized society, which you do. That's where we are now, in a moment of inherent instability. I believe that on balance, we're better off than we were in 1989. I believe on balance, the world will continue to move toward an integrated global community of shared benefits, responsibilities, and values. That's what I think will happen. There are particular problems in some places of the world none more than in the Middle East, where, among other things, our friends in the Arab world have to somehow, the people that are sympathized with all these things that have been said before I got up here, have to find a way to break the psychology of resentment. A few years ago, when I was, we were in Dublin, I think, as I remember, in addition to my buddy Bono, I think the great Irish writer Frank McCourt was there who wrote Angela's Ashes. You know, it's a great book about the old Limerick. I like the new one better if you've been there. But Frank McCourt has a brother, not so well known, but a delightful man, who's also an author named Malachi McCourt. And Malachi wrote a great line. He said, harboring resentments is like taking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. <laughs> you know, I had an occasion to think about this a lot in my life, because you live long enough, you're going to resent somebody or something. But it's really a very important thing to think about. The Middle East is particularly affected because of the mass psychology of shame-based politics. When the Intifada started in September 2000, the Hood remembers this, and Ariel Sharon said he was going to walk up on the Temple Mount, and no Israeli politician had done it since 1967. And, you know, he tried to stop the violence and set a bunch of police up there with him. And I did my best to persuade Mr. Arafat and the Palestinians not to launch the Intifada. And they thought I was crazy. They said, well, we have to do this. They are humiliating us. We have never, no, no Israeli figure is you know, tainted the Temple Mount like this. How dare Sharon do this? I said, well, that's one possible response. I said, 
well, he said, well, what do you think? I said, I would have a little Palestinian girl with a bouquet of flowers meet him and offer to show him the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock and say, you know, when this is ours, you can come back every day. He thought I was, as we say at home, three bricks shy of a full load. He's like, that was an unimaginable response. And that's the last thing I want to say to young people here. The future of the world depends upon the unimaginable response. Anytime anybody does anything to you that you believe compels a response on your part, you have given up the freedom that we have spent the last 50 years trying to secure for the whole world. That in America, Republicans and Democrats, and that all over the world, freedom-loving people have tried to secure. The Skip shipyard workers, I saw Lech Wawensa at President Reagan's funeral today. In every, every corner of the globe, people who have labored for freedom, Martin Lee, the Hong Kong human rights activist, I could go on and on and on. Aung San Suu Kyi suffering away under arrest in Burma, all over the world. All those people gave you a chance to be free. And then when somebody does something to you and you say, I had no choice but to respond in this way, you just gave them your freedom. You gave your life into the hands of someone else. I have seen in the Intifada for the last three years, we've had 3,000 dead Palestinians, 920-something, I think, dead Israelis. The average age of the dead Israelis is 24. The average age of the dead Palestinians is 18, all because Mr. Arafat turned down the peace agreement in 2000 because he was afraid of what someone else would say about it, in part. So he wasn't free. So you think about that. Those of you who are much younger than me are going to be asked to shape a world unlike the world all of us who are particularly 50 or older grew up in. You have to create not an interdependent world because there's too much instability. You have to create an integrated world. And the definition of that is what you have in common is more important than your interesting differences. So you have to find a way to share benefits, share responsibilities, and share the simple value that your common humanity matters most. If you do that, this is going to be the most interesting time we've ever lived in. Will we have more people die from terrorism? Doubtlessly, we will. Might there even be some horrible biological or chemical incident? There might be. Has any society ever been destroyed by terrorism alone? No. Will we be the first? Highly unlikely. All great contests begin in the mind, in the heart, with the imagination, and with the ultimate human freedom. I choose to see this in a different way. I choose to react in a different way. I choose to imagine a different future. That's really what we need today, almost more than anything else. Thank you very much. Could you make a case, sir, for why folks uh, with the level of talent and the level of options in this room uh, should consider public service and should consider themselves standing for election someday? Yeah, I'll even do better than that. Before Walk out of the room and on your way out, Shimon's, I went to his 80th birthday party a few months ago. He wouldn't look nearly this good at 80 if he'd spent his time doing something else.
I'm just telling you, it kept him young. You ask any of these people, ask, ask uh, Wes Clark or Joe Ralston if they could live their lives again and know that they'd be worth uh, $150 million now if they would have chosen to do that. Ask Ahud Barak after all the heartbreak we went through trying to make peace with the Palestinians if he wishes that he'd left the Israeli military and gone and made a ton of money and ignored the, the opportunity for public service. I told, I, I've got this thing in my book where I told the young people working with me over and over again, says, it's okay to fail. I'd rather get caught trying to do something good and noble and have them put on my tombstone, he failed, as long as they fill in the blanks at what I failed at doing. There is nothing more rewarding than what we do in common, which is why, you know, you've got... Um, I see some people out here in this room who are enormously um, successful, wealthy people who wanted all of you to have a chance to come here and who are now giving away large amounts of their money to do noble things because they understand fundamentally that when it's all said and done, none of us goes forward unless we all do. You don't have to run for office. There are other options. You know, you have to be about half crazy to spend a lifetime running for office. And under these circumstances, you have to have an extraordinarily high pain threshold. <laughs> um, but any kind of public service, I think, m most people who do it look back at the end of their lives and think it was the most rewarding part of their lives. I include teaching in that, by the way. You know, anything that, where you share yourself with others in order to lift everybody up, when it's all said and done, doesn't matter if you didn't get done. Well, I mean, it's nice if you got done what you were trying to do. But the, nat the human nature and the nature of the human condition and problems are, are not such that in this lifetime or anybody's lifetime, everything that we seek to do, all the dark shadows we seek to run away, will yield to us. The most important thing is whether you tried to do the right thing. So I, all I can tell you is the older I get, the gladder I am that I lived the life I did before I strolled up here today. And I think all of them would feel the same way. Hi. Um, my name is Anna Makanjian. I'm from Russia. I just finished Stanford Law School. I wanted to ask you, your administration worked really hard on their own statute of the International Criminal Court, but when you decided to sign it, you said that you still had it, uh, there was still a lot of work to do. I was just wondering, after everything that has happened since, if you think it's still a possibility that the U.S. would become a party or even, you know, play a positive role and what would have to happen from both sides? I still think it's possible the U.S. will play a positive role in what? In the International Criminal Court. In international cooperations? In the International Criminal Court. Oh, the Criminal Court? Yeah, I think we should join it. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think we should join it. I think, first of all, I believe this is accurate. Uh, I hope it is because I said it in my book, so I hope it's true. I believe I was the first um, national leader to go to the UN and call for a permanent international tribunal. Now, <clears throat> so I don't agree with the current administration position that we shouldn't be part of the International Criminal Court. But it's also true if you know that I joined it quite late in my term. And I want to explain why. 
We, we supported these uh, war crimes tribunals for Bosnia and for uh, Rwanda and some other things. And, and the Rwandan one particularly we've had terrible problems with, as you probably know. But let me try to defend the position taken. And you might not ask General Ross and General Clark whether they agree with me about this. Here's the problem with all the condemnation. And I don't agree with President Bush about this, but let me defend his position, okay? This sort of, let me give you this sort of scan position here. How many countries today do we have American soldiers serving in, Joe? So we have today soldiers in 60 countries. Most of the people who signed the International Criminal Court Convention don't have any soldiers serving anywhere. Among my greatest regrets as president is that I didn't go into Rwanda quicker. We went in to try to you know, stabilize the situation in the refugee camps, and we saved a lot of lives, but I think if circumstances had been a little different, we could have saved a lot more. So. Whenever there's a problem in the world and America doesn't go and go in a hurry, we're condemned. But that means that if there is an international criminal court alleging for war crimes, keep in mind, this is primarily the focus of this, is primarily war crimes, then everybody else can sign up with little exposure. We're the people who are asked to take the sons and daughters of Chicago, Illinois, and Skokie and all that and, and subject them to an international tribunal if they do something illegal. That's the, that's the fear in America, okay? That other countries that signed, up, that signed up knowing there'd never be anybody from their country that could ever be called before this. And America is always criticized for not sending more soldiers more places more quickly in the post-Cold War area. So that's what the Bush administration is worried about. If you're president, you don't want your freedom of movement tied to go uh, to to actually be able to go places and save lives, and you don't want to subject the young men and women in uniform to what may be an arbitrary or political prosecution. That's I'm giving you their position. Now I disagree with their position for this reason. We worked very hard all through my second term as president to clarify the rules of participation in the International Criminal Court. And essentially, I'll just give you one example. You remember when those American planes cut that ski wire in Italy and the, and, the, and, the, and the cable car fell and those people were killed? Well, in all these countries where we have, and I think, well, you might have been NATO commander then. So in all these countries that we have soldiers in, under NATO, we have something called a status of forces agreement. And it says how our people are going to be treated if they're, under investigation for crimes. And under the, the terms of the International Criminal Court, an American soldier, an Israeli soldier, a Russian soldier in Kosovo or Bosnia cannot be called before the criminal court for war crimes unless there has not been a serious treatment of the alleged incident in the country in which it occurred or in the country in which the, from which the soldier comes. Therefore, I believe that America's interest in protecting the, uh, its own people in uniform from fair treatment are covered. We had an incident, uh, we occasionally have incidents involving our Marines in Japan and Okinawa. But, and we have obviously this uh, the incident here in the, 
the prisons in Iraq, the most freshest one. All these things are covered by our law and in most cases by our, our an agreement with the countries in which our soldiers are stationed. So I believe our military people are protected and I would join the criminal court and I think that it's very hard to make any international organization work unless America is a part of it. But I would also join the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. I would stay in the Climate Change Accord. I, I, I just have a different view of all this. I, I believe that one of the raging debates in America today, and I'll give you, there's a, the shortest book I know making the intellectually respectable case for the other side of this argument, is Robert Kaplan's little book, Warrior Politics. It's a, you can read it in an hour, hour and a half, but it's a very good book. He's, a, I think, a great journalist. He wrote a book called Balkan Ghosts about the Balkans. He wrote a book called Empire, and Illness, uh, Empire of Wilderness, another called The Ends of the Earth, essentially chronicling a fairly dark view of the 21st century, which he believes will be dominated by huge cities, which will overwhelm the capacity of nations to govern and lead to more chaos. The essential argument of warrior politics, which would lead a guy like Kaplan to oppose America getting in the International Criminal Court is, we are a good country. We are not an imperialist country. We don't go places for bad reasons. For a few years, no one knows how long, America is the dominant economic, political, and military power in the world, and we ought to use that power to fix every problem we can. And we should do nothing which restricts our freedom of movement in this brief window of opportunity we have to end the bad things that are going on in the world and give our children a better future. That's the essential argument. My counterargument is, there will be problems as long as human beings live on Earth. We should be trying to create a world that we would like to live in when we are no longer the only military, political, and economic superpower. And most problems are, do not yield to unilateral solution. And you can't get other people to join a club unless you join. You can't get other people to play by rules unless you play by the rules. And if you're the biggest, of course, you by definition have to make potentially the biggest sacrifice, but I think we should set an example. And I believe the movement toward international cooperation is one of the most important things we can be prompting. So that's why I support the International Criminal Court. But I did want you to know there are a lot of good other people on the other side, most of them terrified that young men and women we send around the world to do things that most people support could be prosecuted for political reasons. I don't agree with it. I think we protected them. But there are a lot of people who disagree with me in the United States.